Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful this morning that we can sing your praises, that we can recognize who you are, what we believe. And Lord, we just say again, we believe. We believe that you came and that you died and that you rose, Jesus. And we believe that you are the whole point of this, of what we do this morning. And so we, freshly, we, we bow our lives before you. You are sovereign over all nations and us. Lord, would you have your way amongst us? Would you lead us in greater ways as a body into your, into your great purposes in this world? Might you rid us of all of our vain ambitions? And Lord, help us to be a people that love you and your ways far more than we love ourselves in our own ways. And that even this morning, you would increasingly help us to place all of our life under your authority. This Jesus we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, a couple, couple things before we dig in this morning. Um, the team in Thailand is doing well. Um, they... Uh, uh, we've been in contact a lot. Pray for them. They've had a lot of ch- things change, even coming up to the week. And so um, God is good, and he leads and directs and guides. So their plans changed, I think, yesterday, and um, kind of neat thing. Um, three of them were like uh, Dave and Tim and Leah, Dan's wife. Um, they, were, they had their own time with the Lord, and they came down, and they all, and one of them said, hey, as I was sitting with the Lord, I really felt like we need to go do this today. And the other one goes, that's the exact thing I wanted to say to you. And the other one said, that's the exact thing I wanted to do. And so it's a, if you've never been on a short-term trip or things like that, it's just pretty amazing how God leads and guides and directs, especially in a place like Thailand that um, if you've not been there, it's, it's a place of, of incredible darkness and incredible sin and depravity that's just around every corner. And so um, God's doing great things with that team, but continue to pray for them through this week as they, um, I think they get home on Friday, Friday. I was right. All right. Um, All kinds of other things going on today. Today is a bit of a different day. Um, um, We have our annual meeting, as Brandon said, after the second service. And uh, what we wanted to do is pause kind of in light of everything and and really share this morning where are we headed. And we're going to look back. We're going to look forward a little bit of where we're headed at at the chapel in North Canton and and why we're headed in the direction we are. Um, I think the why is probably the most important question is why are we headed where we're headed? Um, You know, I I don't know if you've thought about this um, ever, but why? why? Why do this? Why get up early on a Sunday morning and come to the 9 o'clock service? Why read your Bible? Why pray? Why give to missions? Why give to a church? Why, why do any of it? I mean, what's the point? I mean, even little things, and, you know, if, if you haven't been or if you have, why, why stand in front of a group of people and get dunked in water? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's kind of a peculiar thing we do. Why? I mean, the why is really the most important question that we'll ask is why do all these things? I don't know if you've ever gotten a point in your life, maybe it isn't with your faith, but with other things, where you really didn't know why you were doing the things you do anymore. You woke up in the morning and you just kind of had your routine and you had your day and you, were, you just got by. Anybody ever been there? Sometimes we do that with our faith too, probably. 
But why do we do all the things we do? I'd simply say, I think the why for us is simply Jesus. It's simply Jesus. See, 400 years of silence at the end of the Old Testament came. There had been prophet after prophet asking and calling the people, repent, turn to God, live for him. And maybe at times they would repent and turn to him, and others they, they wouldn't, and they would continue in their rebellion. But God continued to provide a prophet, someone to call the people of God back to himself. And the prophets, all the prophets, their message was the same, repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. And finally, at the end of it all, and through the Old Testament, the voice of God, there was no prophet, and God was silent. And in his silence through people and, 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 and prophets, there was this amazing thing that was happening in the world. And the amazing thing that was happening in the world, some would call it the Greeking of the world. Rome was beginning to spread, and roads and pathways were being made from city to city, and the world was being modernized over this 400 years of silence very, very quickly. And as this kind of period came to the end, and the Roman world had grown so significantly, a baby was born, born of a virgin, and his name was Jesus Christ. And what happened is, in the silence, God was doing work, but in the silence, God wasn't going to send another prophet. He was going to send the prophet of prophets. And what happened was God stepped down from on high, right? He stepped down from on high. I'm going to get off my high horse. <laughs> and he came down amongst us, and he walked around in the flesh. He came out in the crowd. And when he came out in the crowd, he experienced every trial and struggle just like you and I do. He came up to people and he touched them and he healed them. He looked at them eye to eye and he loved people right where they were. Jesus came into the midst of humanity, God. He stepped down in the midst and he came up to a man who was, who was so grieved that his daughter was dead and he went to the daughter and he touched her and he rose her from the dead. And Jesus came in the midst, and he wasn't silent, and he wasn't, uh, God was not silent anymore. God became loud, and he became, came in screaming, saying, I love you, and I want to be with you, and I love you so much that I sent my son into this world, and he walked around amongst us. See, Jesus came, and he walked in the flesh, he came down and he walked amongst humanity. And Jesus wasn't just some other man. Jesus was the son of God, born of a virgin, different than all of us. And God stepped in to our existence, into our space. And he experienced, again, trial and struggle and brokenness, just like we do, in a very different way to identify with us. But ultimately, the prophecies were to come true. God had promised a savior, and he delivered on his promise. Just so you know, God always keeps his promises. And Jesus stepped into our existence, and what happened then? Well, the prophecies came true, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He had his flesh ripped off of his back. It would have been a whip, 
with shards of glass, metal, and every time it struck, 39 times, it would sink into the skin, and the skin would be ripped out when they came back. 39 times. And see, this was a different beating than any other kind of beating because this beating was because of you. It was because of me. It was because of our sin. And not only was he whipped, he was beaten, and he was mocked. A crown of thorns on his head mocked as some sort of false, arrogant, reckless king who was trying to assume something that he did not deserve. A robe was placed on his back and he was spit on. But see, this is not the end. Then he takes a cross that he has to carry his own cross after beaten. Again, now let's not forget, he stepped down into this to have that happen because of us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion. And so he steps down into this and he's beaten, he's bruised, he's mocked. He carries a cross up a hill. And on that hill, the nails are pounded into his flesh. And he hangs on the cross. And even historians will say this. Just as the scriptures say, the clouds went dark. And when he died, the earth shook. Because he was different than any other man that had walked on this earth. And he had just done something that was significantly different. But see, we just talked about the physical beatings. See, I believe the real horror of the cross was Jesus as he stepped down fully God, fully man. In a moment on the cross, the father can have nothing to do with sin, and he turned his back on the son. See, the difference between my suffering and Jesus' suffering is, see, I have the father, and he will never let me go. But the father turned his face from him, and Jesus suffered and died in an aloneness that can't even be described. He was taken down from the cross and he was buried in a tomb. And in that tomb, he was buried and he laid. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. You see, he rose because death could not handle him, as one preacher said, and the grave could not hold him. Death could not handle Jesus and the grave could not hold him. He was more powerful than even death. He was more powerful than the grave. I mean, think about this. Think about the loved one where you go to their graveside and you show up and it's unearthed and they're somewhere walking around. This is our Savior. The boulder was moved. He rose from the dead. See, this is where we often stop. It's not the end of his work. He begins then to teach the disciples and he teaches them for, for, it says, 40 days. And he would appear here and there. And they didn't understand who he was. And he would open their eyes and they would see. And they would, begin to, they would begin to understand all these things that had happened. And that brings us to our text this morning in Luke, 2, Luke 24, 44 through 49. This is maybe the Great Commission according to Luke. Luke was written to one man. Luke and Acts are kind of like... Uh, Luke and Acts are... Uh, 
written by Luke, and they're written to one man named Theophilus. Many people believe that Luke was written to see Theophilus come to faith, and then Acts was written to display and to show Theophilus what the movement of the church had become. And so this one book, Luke 24, this is right before Jesus ascends to heaven. And right before he ascends to heaven, after all that he has done, this is the, the commission this is the, the mission given to his church. And just so you know, Jesus is still risen. Jesus is still not dead. Jesus will never die. He is exalted on high, and he is still moving and at work in this world. Now, one of the grateful things I am about Chapel North Canton, I don't talk bad about other churches very often, but I've been to a lot of churches where they have, a, they have like a funeral service every Sunday morning. It's, it's dead and boring. I'll just tell you this. There is nothing dead and boring about my Savior. And, and one of the grateful things I have about this church is we don't, we don't celebrate some dead Savior that did something a long time ago that has effect today. We celebrate a Savior that did something a long time ago that, that has effect today and is going to continue to have effect for all time and et- eternity. I can't even say it. Yeah. This is, a, this is a good, exciting thing. Yeah. And so, so his commission. So let's read Luke 24, um, 44 through 49. I'm going to stop in the middle for a, a minute. So in 44, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, so the law of Moses would have been the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus, just so you know, Jesus just verified the veracity, the truthfulness of the Old Testament. So if you think the Old Testament is a dead book, then you and Jesus have issues, right? Because Jesus just said it's true. So, just while you know, it's in red, right? This is the words of Jesus. He's saying that this is, this is true. These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written in them, the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So, in this kind of moment here, he opens their minds to, to understand the scriptures, and then it continues, and said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. The first thing that we see in this kind of text is the need for spiritual illumination. The need for spiritual illumination. Who opened their eyes to see things clearly? Jesus did. Who opened your eyes to see things clearly? Who do we act like opened our eyes? We, we take a lot of credit for our understanding of things. We do so because we say things like, why don't they get it? I said it to them like this. We need spiritual illumination. We need God to open the eyes of our heart. We need him to give us ears to hear, right? Eyes to see. This is actually a thing Jesus taught that, oh, Lord, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. We need spiritual illumination. This work cannot be done alone by arguments, There is a work that, there's a greater work that we do on our knees, allowing God to open up our eyes to see things as they are, to see things as he sees them. This is something we need renewed and refreshed constantly in our life. And I would say that as a church, not just as individuals, we need the eyes of our heart illuminated together that we would see clearly what he has for the church, what he has for us to be. I'm not speaking of this in some sort of new revelation. I'm speaking of this from the revelation we've been given, that he would give us deep understanding. I mean, imagine this moment when the disciples' eyes are opened, and I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but some of it is a bit challenging to understand. 
we're out of the culture. And imagine Jesus opening your eyes in person. There's a moment on the road to Emmaus, um, kind of in his resurrected self, where he walks and talks with these men, and then all of a sudden, they have no idea what he's talking about, then he opens their eyes, and they walk for like eight miles with Jesus, and he's telling them the greatest sermon that was ever recorded on a dirt road somewhere about all the law, all the prophets, and Jesus deeply connected within them, and how the prophecies had been fulfilled through him. I don't know. I think about those things sometimes. It would be an amazing thing. And so we need our minds to be open and understanding to come. So these words that he spoke, right, this is the the Old Testament is verified by Jesus. He opens their minds to understand. And then he said, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So here he says that, that this has been prophesied, this was told that would happen. The text continues in 47. And that... And continues, in that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, Holy Spirit. And, but stay in the city while you are clothed with power from on high. So kind of in the midst of this, he gives the commission to the church. Now, each gospel has some sort of commission in it. This is Luke's commission. They, they all are... They are, they are all interconnected and almost kind of show us a different angle of the commission. Mark uh, and the, Matthew will say, go and make disciples of all nations, right? This is his, his, his aim is discipleship. I believe that, that Luke's aim is really the saying the same thing. It's, it's all about discipleship. And he, he proclaims, right, the, the thrust of this is, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all nations. The commission of the church is simple, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. I'll say that again. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. And so how this works is maybe twofold. Repentance and forgiveness of sins, and I'll share how it's happened in my life. So repentance and forgiveness of sins worked like this in my life. At the age of 21, I was living in great rebellion against God. I knew about God, I had studied the scriptures when I was young, but I didn't want it. I wanted to find friends on my own, I wanted to find life on my own, and I thought it was going to be found in a party and a bottle. And when I came to the end of trying to find it there, as hard as I could pursue that, I woke up one morning realizing I had nothing, and that I had become one of the bad people that I'd never wanted to become. And in the backseat of a friend's car, I said, Jesus, I am sorry. I am so sorry for rebelling against you the way I did and the way I have. I don't know how to live my life. I am a terrible driver. Will you come? And will you live in me? And will you lead me? Because I can't do this anymore. I came to the end of myself. I repented, right? I turned, and I placed my faith in Jesus. Now, did I say even repent? I, I, in the backseat of my friend's car, I don't think I said I repent, and I don't think I said now I am placing my faith in you. Those words did not come out of my mouth, but the intent of my heart and the cry of my heart is, God, I am sorry, and I'm going to trust you. So fast forward. I'm, I'm a believer. I'm walking with God. Um, I'm, I'm trying to. I don't know 
a ton about the ways of the Christian faith. There was a lot of those things that were kind of sheltered. Either I didn't listen to them because I wasn't a believer when I was younger. I was around it, but I just didn't know it. And all of a sudden, I began to hang around people that, that there were some things and behaviors in my life that really didn't glorify God much. And I had some people that loved me enough to say, hey, Ryan, there's some things in your life that don't glorify God very much. And when those things were revealed to me, what did I say? Oh, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I don't want to dishonor you, Jesus. You died for me on the cross. I don't want to live my life in any way that would defame you or not honor you or bring you glory. So help me now live this out in my life. What was happening in my life? Repentance and faith. I was turning from sin and turning, placing faith in Jesus. I think repentance and faith is like this frozen moment in time. Repentance and faith is this time in my life that, and it can happen all the time. I believe it's the beginning of faith and it's the continuing of faith. And one day we won't have to repent anymore because we'll be freed from sin. But until then, we will always experience repentance and faith. Repentance and faith is as much about salvation as it is about sanctification, growing in Christ. And so in these moments in our life, repentance and faith, proclaiming this, this is not just to bring you know, people to Jesus, but it's about growing up in Jesus. This is all about discipleship. And so repentance and faith is this normative thing in the Christian life. So if you feel really guilty because you're not a perfect Christian, like the person you know that you think is a perfect Christian, just so we're all off the hook today, they're a liar and they're not that, and you don't have to become like them because we're all broken. You know, the, one of the, I said to a group the other day, the, the, the greatest danger of me as a pastor is I don't, I'm not really a pastor that just like locks my door and sits in my office. And so part of the danger of me as a pastor is some of you actually know me, right? And you know some of my issues, which are vast. And repentance and faith, just so you know, it's a normative part of my life. It's a normative part of my marriage. It's a normal part of my parenting. It's, a, it's just a normal thing because I get that I don't have it all together. And I just love being in a Christian world where we don't have to act like that anymore. Now, don't hear me being light on sin in this either, right? Because, like, it's a big deal to sin against God. And for me, the, the thought of ever dishonoring God the way I did before I knew him or in some of the ways I did when I first knew him, I mean, it, it deeply grieves my heart to think about dishonoring him in that way because I love him. I, I, I love him. I, there's no way that, that, there's no way in my heart um, that, that I would want to even engage in those things anymore. Does it mean I'm immune to it? Does it mean that I couldn't? No. But what it means is that for me, he's given me a new affection in my heart for him that far outweighs the old affections I had for my life, for myself, for my sin. And so in this, kind of the mission of the church, what is it? The mission of the church is, 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 is this calling to a higher purpose, and he wants all of us to, to move toward these higher purposes of his and his alone. And, and this higher purpose, is our, these are like our marching orders. We are his servants. We are his children. And he is saying to us as children, children, go out and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. So go and make disciples of all nations. Embrace these orders. Now, church, hear this. One of the greatest fears for me, and I hope it is for you, so for us collective, me, collectively, me individually, you individually, feel the tension of this, one day we will stand face-to-face -face before Jesus. 
and we will answer for our lives. And we will answer for how we engaged in this world as a church. I will be responsible for that, as the scriptures say. In leadership, the elders will be responsible for that. In leadership, we will be responsible for that collectively together as a body. But each of us individually will be responsible to this commission to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. So this isn't one of those things where it's like, you know, only a few, of, only a few people in this room have been, been called to evangelize or have been called to live out the Christian life. That's not the case. We've all been called to this. Now, some in this room are probably more gifted evangelists in nature, but it doesn't change the fact of responsibility. I'll say this quickly. I think one of the greatest... If you, you ask the question, Ryan, what is the greatest, um, what, is, what is the greatest struggle? What is the, the, the greatest issue facing the church or, or even, I would say, our nation? I'd say you see it in the nation. I see a microcosm in the church. It's, it's a lack of accepting responsibility in life. It's the issue in the home. It's the issue in our culture. And it's the issue in the church. It's we, we don't like right, things imposed on us, and we don't like responsibility, and so we kind of push it away in our life, and this is a thing that you can push away the responsibility of the Great Commission in your life, but there will be a great cost for that, because one day you will see him face to face, and I can't imagine seeing him face to face and saying, the one thing you asked me to do, I never did. It's like my daughter, right? coming down from cleaning her room, and she's been playing in it all day, like for two hours. And I, she hears her, I'm walking upstairs, and she hears big dad footsteps coming upstairs. And she knows, and she like starts scrambling, stuffing stuff under the bed, right? <laughs> stuffing things in drawers, dirty clothes are in the closet, you know, I mean, everything's everywhere. And I walk in, and I walk over, and I look under the bed, in this fear of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be exposed. Don't think that God can't see under the bed. Don't think that he can't see in the closet. He recognizes our obedience or disobedience. And so, so what does that mean for us? Well, I think our response as a church, and this is, you know, Vision Sunday. Our, our response as a church is to do our best to fulfill to fulfill this great commission within our culture and our time to the very best of our ability through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and by the authority of the Word of God. And we've set out to be a church that is all about the great commission, about proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins in our culture, in our day, and in our time. And we've set out to do it in six ways. So I wanna, I'm going to put them on the screens, and I want you to see the six things that we're committed to do in the next really the next two years for sure, but I think this will trail on to the long-term future of who we are as a people. So guys, go ahead and throw up number one. Um, our, our, one, one of the first things, and these aren't in order or priority, they're just six things that we want to see happen. The first is create clear pathways of discipleship from first contact to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ, um, follower of Christ church-wide starting 2016. So this year, what we began to do is we began to create clear pathways. Now, you may have seen that some, or maybe you haven't yet, but what we want is clarity of, of whether it's a, how to get involved in an ABF, how to get involved in an MC, how to get involved in a men's and women's study, how to get involved in, in all the different 
things that we do here and how to grow up in your faith. Now, involvement isn't the end game, right? Just showing up and sitting down. That's not the end game. The end game is that we're providing clear pathways to becoming a person who is bringing all of their life under the authority of Jesus Christ. And you'll see in January as we roll some new things out of how, much, how serious we are about that, that we want to make it really, really clear that for you, those of you who are members or those of you who are new, if you spend a little bit of time around here, you can really see clearly from our website to the lobby to the way we articulate things that, that there's a really clear way to get involved and get engaged in things here. It's one of the things I think a lot of churches struggle with, and it's something that we wanted to make clearer, is how can you, how, how do we create clear pathways to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ? I think a lot of people want to. They want to take next steps in their faith. They just don't know where to. Anybody ever been there, right? And so we want to make that a lot clearer for you. And we also, in the, in the same vein of that, I know that some of you right now, you're coming in here like, I just need some stuff now. Like, I don't get it. I, my marriage, I need it now. I need my parenting, I need it now. I need, I need help with my finances now. Wh- whatever it might be, I'm, I'm in the middle of grief right now. I need help. Next year, we really want to help give you some things, and you'll see it come, is we want to give you some things for the now in your life, the things that, that you're really struggling with today. And so some of those things are going to happen. But one, kind of in light of the text, proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins, this first is really the root like, of discipleship, of, of, of helping, helping people make that first decision, right, of becoming a disciple of Jesus, repenting and, come, repenting and, and living in faith. And then a continued process, and really that's the path of discipleship is repenting and having faith and repenting and having faith and and living by faith in greater and greater ways with our lives. The second, (coughs) the second is to establish 50 missional communities within Stark County and the surrounding counties by the end of 2017. Now, in this, what we want to do is we, we would like to see missional communities increase throughout Stark County. Now, right now in my house, if you, if you were to come and hang out on a Wednesday night, there's like 55 people, feels like 400 children, like it is packed, um, we've got a lot of people, and, and for, my, for my missional community, it's been a really incredible journey over the last 18 months of seeing what God has done. A group of eight of us began, and we began to become connected to people that didn't have community, didn't have family, that were going through some hard times in their life, and God uniquely began to put people around. I remember sitting this summer in our missional community and thinking, in this room today.